This is the Pro Channel Manager Podcast, episode number four. I like turtles. You're listening to the Pro Channel Manager Podcast, the only podcast in the world that shows you how to run a YouTube channel just like the pros. And here's your host. He's grown multiple YouTube channels by millions of subscribers and billions of views. And even though he speaks funny, we promise you he is speaking English, Tom Martin. Hello, fellow YouTube pros, and welcome to another episode of the Pro Channel Manager podcast. I'm so delighted to have you here with me today. I've got an incredible episode talk about Action Pact. It's unbelievable. What a guest I've got for you today. It's my good friend, role model, YouTube sensation, YouTube star, YouTube businessman extraordinaire, Antonio Santano. Antonio runs a YouTube channel called Real Men Real Style, also the website realmenrealstyle.com. And he teaches men how to dress, how to act with class, with style. It's unbelievable. It's a great story. It's a great YouTube channel. It's a great resource. But what I really wanted to talk about with Antonio today was the way that he runs the team that runs the YouTube channel. I was actually lucky enough to work with Antonio. He was my first client once I left the corporate world. And I got to see firsthand just how incredible of a businessman and team leader he is. I learned so, so much from just my short time working there. And I'm going to be able to share with you all of the incredible tips that I learned, but also some amazing extra bonus tips that Antonio is going to share with us on today's episode. But before we dive into the meat and the potatoes, here's a quick word from our sponsor, vidIQ. VidIQ is the secret weapon for every professional YouTube channel manager. Why? Because it has all of the amazing workflow and efficiency tools you need to save you time and effort, but there's more. It also has the most advanced YouTube SEO tools in the world, including an incredible keyword research tool that I use on every single video that I upload. I've been using vidIQ since way back in 2013, and without it, I simply would not have been able to generate the billions of YouTube views that I have. Fact. So if you want to get Ninja and start using the tools that the pros use, check out prochannelmanager.com forward slash vidIQ to get a free 30-day trial of one of their awesome paid plans. That's prochannelmanager.com forward slash V-I-D-I-Q. And you can thank me later. Thank you, vidIQ. Awesome. As always, we're going to jump now into today's interview with Antonio. You can find all of these amazing tips written into an incredible guide by visiting prochannelmanager.com forward slash episode four. That's the word episode number four, no spaces, no hyphens. And without further ado, let's run the interview. So it is a real, real honor for me today to welcome a good friend of mine and former client, actually, Antonio Centeno from Real Men Real Style, the website, the YouTube channel, the incredible business. And before we jump into this interview, I'm just going to get a little bit sentimental because not only is Antonio a great guy, he's a real inspiration to me in terms of what he's done on YouTube, how he's built his business, how he's built his team which is what we're going to focus on talking about today. But amazingly enough, Antonio is actually my first real client when I left the corporate world. And he really gave me the confidence to make that leap from working for somebody else to working for myself. I spent a couple of months working with Antonio and his team. It was an incredible experience. I look back at it very fondly and learned so, so much that I had to get Antonio on to speak about a load of the stuff that he's doing with his team that you can use in your YouTube business. So Antonio, it's a million, million thank yous for not only coming on the podcast, but for taking a chance on a young-ish YouTube channel manager two years ago, first leaving the corporate world. Welcome to the podcast, Antonio. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. And it's funny, I think I remember us first talking about the idea and you were in the corporate world, you were looking to do the thing on your own. Maybe it was the first London Youpreneur event. That was the one, yeah. We were just talking. And I think 
you know, it was something that you just needed a client and I had a problem. And it was funny. I was sitting there waiting for you. Just make me an offer. Just make me an offer. Because when you negotiate, you always want, you know, the other person to throw out how much they're going to charge so you don't overpay. And you never made an offer. And I'm just like, ah, this is his problem. He's not even offering his services. <laughs> You're telling me what you could do. And I remember, uh, I think Cajole forced one out of you. And then if I remember correctly, we actually, I'm like, no, nah, I'll pay you more. But I just simply want more from you. Like it wasn't to the level I wanted, but I was like, ah, this is going to be a good deal for me. And yeah, I want this, this, and this, and I'll even pay you more for it. Yeah. You offered me double and I nearly, my jaw nearly hit the floor. I had to kind of keep in the excitement. Uh, And that's a story I tell to many, many people. So yeah, I learned a very good lesson that day. Is ask for what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are business owners that have money and we just have problems. And as a busy business owner, I simply want to give you money. You solve my problem. That's it. Like right there. Yeah. And so first lesson there for any budding channel managers out there that want to go freelance. There are people out there that have the problem that they need help with their YouTube channel. They don't have the time, don't necessarily want to get involved in the weeds of optimizing videos. So there's an extra lesson there that I didn't even intend on you learning today. So Antonio, I want you to cast your mind back to January the 26th, 2011. Can you remember what was special about that day? Not at all, but you know, based around that window, it sounds like I either start, I did something on YouTube. So maybe my first video, I don't know. Yeah, it was your first video, which was called How to Use the Real Men, Real Style website. It was basically a guide of you showing people how to use your own website. And it was, you know, everyone's first videos are a little bit kind of rough around the edges. Yours was pretty good. Then you went on to do some more kind of how-to stuff. But how did you get to that point of uploading that video? Because I'm not a big fan of, you know, oh, come and tell us your origin story. Everyone's heard everyone's origin story before. They're not that interesting. But I think yours is really relevant to today's conversation because I know that you come from a military background and I've worked with you and I've seen the way that you run your business in a very military-like fashion. So I'd love to just know a very, very quick potted history of how you got from where you were to uploading your first video to YouTube. So I think sometimes people hear that, oh, he runs it like the military. He must be hard. He must expect a lot of people. He must yell at them. Like, well, okay, I occasionally, no, I don't, I don't yell at my people, but I will say that I do expect the best. I do, I do force, the way I, I take it from the military is that we never leave a man behind. And I served in Marine Corps infantry units. It was all men. And it was just something that there's an unspoken word that you are, I mean, these are the people you're going into combat with. And you, the funny thing about the military is sometimes you get, there's a lot of people in your group that you don't like and actually are not that great, but you're stuck with them. And I did see numerous times, in fact, I was that lieutenant for a staff sergeant one time that he said, okay, this is the lieutenant I got. And you know what? I'm going to work on him. I'm going to get him up to that level. So that's probably one of the first things, you know, I think I'm proud to take from the military is that I actually work on self-development and I look out for my people. And I find that I don't want people part-time on my team. I want people full-time because if you get somebody half their time, you're only getting a quarter of their attention. I want people that come in are committed to mission. Another thing with the military is that people join not for the money. People join because they believe in a bigger mission. And those are the things that I looked for um, when I'm bringing my people in and that I can work with. Because I've got, you know, you've met Yuri, you've met Jane, you've met a number of the people on my team that work for me, and they're still with me, Thomas, because uh, they believe in our mission and what we're about. And one thing I'm really proud about is all those people, I can tell you, if you would go back and look at them five years ago, they were not nearly at the level that they're at. So growing our own people and reinvesting in the people, that has probably been one of the best things that we've done. Now, what caused me to put up that first video? I'm honestly thinking it just simply was out of need. It was out of necessity. I was trying tons of things and I had this website. Website was getting traffic, but I felt that it needed to be explained how to be able to find things. And I'm always trying to put myself in the seat, in, you know, think about how does my customer view this? How does the person view it? And I really thought just simply there are people that like to view video. I like to view video. And if I walk through this, 
and gave them in two minutes what maybe would take them 20 minutes to figure out it's going to be valuable. So that was the whole purpose of that first video, putting it up there. And it was great because when you try a lot of things, you actually get a taste for a lot of things. Everyone in their mind, I think, tries a lot of things, but they don't actually do it. And it's like riding a bike. You can read five books on riding a bike, but eventually you got to get out there and do it. And what I found from that first video is, you know, video wasn't that difficult for me. I actually have the gift of gab. I'm a horrible writer, but I wouldn't say horrible writer. It's just, I'm slow. I can't type. That's just something I I never took a class on it. And I'm a hunting pecker when it comes to just getting on that keyboard. But video, man, get me in front of that camera. I was decent starting off. And after, you know, two to 3,000 videos I've probably made over the last few years, I think I'm now pretty good. Still not great, but I keep working on it. And how then did you go from that one video? Obviously, you, you saw some progress and you realized, you know, there's some money to be made here. How did you progress to say, you know what, I think I'm going to make YouTube a bigger focus of the business? And how eventually did you turn, quote unquote, pro? Like, when did you go full time on YouTube? Like, when were you making your full revenue from YouTube enough to not do any other businesses that you you may have been working on at the time? Well, initially getting on there, it wasn't about making money from YouTube. It was about making money from my own little custom clothier. So I own this clothing company and I had to draw a business to it. We weren't getting sales. And so I had tons of articles out there and the articles were doing pretty well. They were actually bringing 100,000 visitors a month to our little clothing website. Now, this is early web. This is 2011, 2009, 2010. And so we're getting this traffic because no one else out there is writing in detail about men's style. But here's the thing is writing articles was just killing me. It took so much time. I was getting up at 4 a.m., writing till like 10 or 11 a.m. in the morning, and then starting on my, my real job of being this custom clothier. So I started making some of these videos and it was more of just repeating back what I had already written about because I already written like two to 300 articles. So I knew this stuff and I'm all self-taught. So I didn't go to school for fashion. I have an MBA. I have a degree in psychology and philosophy, but I do not have a background in design. But this is something that I'm learning through the School of Hard Knocks getting into this. And I realized no one out there is talking about this or putting this stuff out there. So we wrote about it, a couple hundred articles. Then I realized there's no one really putting out YouTube videos about this. Again, early time, 2011, 2012, 2013, there was another guy, Aaron Marino, but he was talking about, he was more like a fashion guy. And I didn't agree with a lot of his stuff. In fact, I thought a lot of his stuff was junk. Funny thing is he's now one of my best friends and business partner. But at the time I was like, ah, this guy does no crap and I can do it better. But the one interesting thing that I think made me really commit to YouTube is I saw, I could see his numbers and you couldn't see an article that I wrote that was getting, let's say a thousand people a day to it. You couldn't see that. But what you could see is this YouTube video that got a hundred thousand views. And I realized, wow, like I like that you can keep score with that on there. And that was, you know, something that I was able to go in there. And so I started creating more and more videos. And all it was initially was to draw traffic. Real Men Real Style was the marketing arm that I had created as an offshoot off of my custom clothier. Eventually, the custom clothier, though, I realized it wasn't working out. I went into a bankruptcy. I mean, that thing failed bad. But there is something good that came out of that. And I realized I can make these videos and people are going to pay me for these videos. In fact, I had a company reach out. They gave me a pair of free shoes. And I remember getting those free shoes. And these are expensive shoes, like $400 shoes right here and uh, beautiful But he kept hounding on me, hey man, like make a video on these shoes, make a video on these shoes. And so I finally made the video on the shoes and he called me up. He's like, man, sales are coming in. Thank you so much. And I'm like, yeah, you, I mean, it took me like, I don't know, two months to get that video done and finally out the door because I had to be running my clothier. And then he said, he says, hey, I'm sending you another pair. And I was like, oh no, like I didn't want to go through another two months of like, finding time to do this. At this time, I'd gotten to know Aaron a little bit better. And I I told it to Aaron. I'm like, man, he's like, idiot. Come on, charge him money. And I'm like, I can't do that, man. No, no one's going to pay. He's like, you better send him an invoice for $3,000 and he will pay it. And I was like, really? Three grand for me just to get these free shoes and talk about them? And he's like, he'll do it. And uh, sure enough, I sent that invoice and within five minutes paid in full and I'll tell you, that was a much easier video to film when I made more money off that one video 
than I had made off my clothier in an entire month. And what kind of size was the channel when you started to get, you know, your first brand deal like that? Because I know a lot of people think you need to have a huge channel, but you don't no, necessarily. I got like 5,000 views, 6,000 views on that video. But this was early. Again, I do think that click-through rates were higher. I think that people were more engaged. When you're a smaller influencer, I think in general, you got a much more engaged audience. People that find you earlier, these are your thousand true fans. So don't discount that. And if you want to actually get a reality check on how valuable your videos are, then call up a marketing agency and say, hey, how much does it cost just to get a video produced to promote my product? And by the way, you don't have to get any views on it. They'll give you a quote. I mean, I have a friend, he paid $50,000 for a video that they never used through a marketing agency. And so for you to be able to make a video and deliver it on a silver platter to a rabid audience, even if you're getting 500 or 1,000 views, that is very valuable. But here's the thing is that most people don't even see their own value and they never ask for it. They never charge it. Now, you've got to truly have value because, I mean, if you're putting up a video, if it's a channel for, I don't know, you just repurpose other people's content or your audience is kids, you need a lot higher views to be able to make it, you know, worthwhile. But, you know, if you actually are, you're in the business space, or let's say that you have a channel and it's all about cleaning products. Well, you know, that's specifically at that's niche. And there may be a lot more value when you can, in a sense, deal with lower numbers. And so it sounds like you were kind of, you said that it took you two months to get that video out the door. I know you were having it to run your full-time business at the same time. At what stage did you kind of put your hands up in the air and say, I need help with this YouTube channel? When did you hire your first team member and what kind of jobs were they doing for you specifically for the YouTube channel? So for years, we did not turn on monetization. And then one day I turned that thing on and boom, like $2,000 a month coming in for just ads that I allowed. And I tried to, I actually didn't see any drop at the time in connection with my audience. No one was complaining. That was the reason I did not have that on initially. And uh, so as soon as I had that money come in, I said, you know what? This is $2,000 that I will either find a way to spend in the business, or I could simply use this as the budget, which I'm going to go out there and find a video editor. Because at the time it was my wife editing the videos. And I remember she would be editing the videos, breastfeeding, and, you know, doing all this other stuff at the same time. And I'm like, you know, this is not going to work. You know, she's trying to raise the kids. We're trying to, we, at the time we were wrapping up that custom clothier and, you know, I just don't. And, and, you know, some people who have great relationships with their spouse when they're working business, it did not work out with me and my wife. Cause to be honest, I am a complete a-hole when you work with me. I mean, Tom, you've worked with me. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I just have super high expectations and sometimes I will tell people straight, I mean, and I don't think you should be telling your wife that she did a crappy job on this. <laughs> I am honest about things. And the thing is, is that carries over to the bedroom and I care about, I care about my relationship and I want to be able to go home and not have to think and fall into work. So because of that, and all of a sudden we had this money coming in, I immediately took the money that we were now making and I directly earmarked that to my first hire as a video editor. Now, before that, I had two people on my team. And those two people, you you know, Yuri, Yuri's my tech manager. And he basically took off what I consider to be one of just the bane of my existence, which is anything to deal with technology, uploading web, you know, dealing with all the FTPs, all, all that fun website stuff. So we have a WordPress website that for the longest time was actually the majority of our income. And then I have a personal assistant who goes in and takes care of and answers all my emails. And I basically, she, she answers all my emails very quickly, once a day, and I get a single email that summarizes what needs my attention. So those were the first two, but Thomas came in and just made my life easy by simply, I'm like, hey, I'll pay you this amount every single month. I get 20 credits and those 20 credits equate to anywhere from, you know, five to 10 videos, depending on you know, how much work I need, or sometimes up to 20 videos if they're really short, quick videos. Point being is we devised the system and I never noticed the money was going out. And this allowed me just to focus in on filming the videos and then sending him over to him for editing. And so I've had the pleasure, as I said, of, of being part of your team and working with you and Thomas. So that was you and Thomas at that point. Thomas had taken over your wife. 
What does the team look like today in, in 2020? How many people have you got working specifically on the YouTube channel? I know you've got people working on the website. You've got copywriters, customer success, customer service. How many people is working on the YouTube operation? I'd say there's a total of six of us. So I've got Michael. He focuses 100% on thumbnails. I have Jane. She manages all the small. She basically brings everything together and reminds me of like the ideas and I need to do this, do that. I've also got Thomas, video editing. I've got Dane, another video editor. I also have another artist that will come in occasionally, Tina, and she'll put together banners, other images that we want to have in there. So between us right there, that's pretty much the YouTube team. That's quite a big team for one channel. I think a lot of people can only dream of, you know, as coming from someone who's like a channel manager and he's been a channel manager for many years, you know, it might be me running five, six channels. I think I heard once of a company that I won't name that had interns running something like tens of channels. So that's quite a decent number of people to work on a single channel. And so I think people would really aspire to get to that level. Well, your channel has to make money. I mean, the reason I'm able to do that is we're in a niche and I am not afraid to monetize. I mean, we put out consistently a video every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and I can't remember the last time we missed. I mean, it's been years since we haven't put something out on those dates. And we occasionally put out, we're now doing Monday Lives. The money I make from the channel and the majority of the money we make, by the way, of sponsorships, which we have, Half of our videos are sponsored, and these are sponsors that come back again and again. That's a whole nother topic, but I would say that because I freed myself up to not be spending time identifying and putting in all the the metadata, to not be spending hours and hours on thumbnails, although Michael spends almost 35 hours a week on our four thumbnails because he creates it for every video goes out. We actually create like 50 different thumbnails. We narrow that down to four that we test on our website before they even go live to see which ones are going to get the best click through. And we've got an entire system, but, but that I'm able to do that because I took the money, I put it right back into the people. And then that freed me up to go out and guess what? Make more money. And we now created a media company which the media company is more profitable than even Roman real style. And that's actually like my, my favorite company because I don't really have to do any work and I just get a big check at the end of the year. But that media company would not have happened if I didn't have the time to kind of step out of the business and think. But I'm not going to say that it's perfect because in what the one thing you do risk doing what I did, and I think I fell into this, is I think I lost touch a bit with my channel. And I, I you fall into a system and you keep doing the same thing again and again. So we are right now, I think, taking a step back and saying, hey, like, let's make this fresh again. Because you can fall into a routine. But when it comes down to it, I would make no changes because I'm able to spend more time with my family. And to me, that's what's important. Okay, so for someone out there who's maybe like me, new to working for themselves, they've took the plunge of going pro, or they already have a team, but they're looking to expand. At what point do you say I'm going to make a hire, whether that's part-time, full-time? Generally in business on YouTube, like, would you say, wait till you've got the extra money that you can afford it? Or would you say, make sure you've got part of the money covered and then you know that with the free time that you've got, you'll be able to increase your income to cover that new cost? Would you say that was a foolhardy way to go about it? Because I think there's a lot of people that are in that in-between where they're like on the hamster wheel of production and editing and promoting and optimizing. And they're kind of caught on that hamster wheel, but they're scared to take that jump to hiring somebody because they may not have, you know, that extra 2000 a month yet. Or the extra four thousand. Let's say you're going to make your first hire, and and you've been doing everything yourself. Well, I would write on a separate list everything that you absolutely hate doing, and it may be something like you may find, and you want to track how much time you're doing this too. I mean, if you're spending two to four hours every single week doing accounting and your bookkeeping, 
That one's a really easy hire because guess what? That's a whole industry and you don't have to bring, they're not an employee. You simply pay a bookkeeper or an accountant to set it. So that is technically one of your first hires if you're smart. And to me, my accountant is amazing. Erin Johnstone, I go on and on about her, but she makes my life easy. Then look at maybe there are other things. Like for me, it was the tech stuff. I didn't want to be spending the time in there optimizing. I didn't want to be spending time creating thumbnails. And you spend, you break out how much time you're actually spending there. And then, yeah, you need to face the reality of, do I have the money to pay this person? I know people that are paying $10,000 a month. I know people that are paying other people $500 a month. And you could even argue they're getting almost the same thing, the same 40 hours. But in general, you expect... The more you pay somebody, the more you should be able to get, not just from them in terms of expertise, but also responsibility and the ability to cover uh, your company and what you're doing. So we've got a global team. I've got people in the Philippines. I've got people in Ukraine. I have people over in England. I have uh, people here in the United States. I will say that there are some cultural things that, that are different and you got to deal with time zones. But I found that one of the easiest hires for me was simply hiring a VA in the Philippines to be able to handle uh, because English is so predominant and they work on a time zone. They were able to answer my emails, which is something I, I was spending a lot of time in my email. And that paying somebody to free me out of my email and to recover two to three hours a day was game changing. And that, that one was well worth it. Now on your channel, again, look at all these things that you're doing and what can you hand off? What can you not hand off? And again, do you have that money? So how, to set it aside, I would recommend that you say, okay, I'm going to hire this person to go in and do the metadata, do this, do this, do this. Now, there's another thing to think about too. You're going to give them access to your channel. And that's something that is very scary for a lot of people. So trust is going to be a big thing here. But you've got to make sure, yeah, I think you got the money set aside. For some people, again, if they're hiring somebody maybe from the Philippines, you're picking up somebody from Ukraine, maybe somebody from Romania, maybe somebody, you know, you may find, hey, I can get a good deal in terms of, you know, if you've hired someone in the UK, uh, you hire somebody over in the United States, usually you're, you're going to have to pay a bit of a premium just because the cost of living is so much higher. And in fact, I realize a lot of the people that I've grown and trained up in my own company, if I were to try to find their equivalent here in the United States, I'd be paying four times as much. Yeah, that's a bit of geographical arbitrage there that I've used. I know a lot of people are using that. You mentioned having to trust someone with your channel. I know that is like, that strikes the fear of God into many, many people. But even if you were to say, get someone to hire an editor to edit your videos for the first time, or, you know, God forbid, appear in your videos instead of you for the first time, or do some voiceover, how did you get over the kind of, loss of control or ownership of you know, that editing process where obviously you've still got input and you can say to the editor, I need this changed, I need this changed. But generally you're kind of handing off your baby, so to speak, to somebody else. I know that it's something that I struggle with. You know, I try to be less of a technician every day in my business and try to hire people and work with people that can work with me. But I worry, like, will they do a good as job as me? Will they follow my process? Will it live up to my standards? How do you deal, deal with that from like a, a psychological point of view? Yeah, I, I guess I, it just comes down to, do I want, I mean, first up, I just accept the fact that they're not going to do it to my standard. I mean, I'm an owner and I am relentlessly obsessed with my channel in little details. They will occasionally, like I, I think it was the other day on a video, I mentioned, I said something about the Marine Corps and they bring up a picture of the United States Navy. Now, the guy that did the editing is in the Philippines and he does he didn't know the difference. Now, of course, people in my audience brought it up and I could have gone all upset about it. But at the end of the day, that video went on a Sunday and I was able to enjoy my Sunday with my family. I think that's what it comes down to is you got to say, you know what? I've got to step away and it's going to be good enough. It's not going to be perfect, but what I'm going to make up for it is going to be more than fine. When I bring people on, I have them, I audition. I mean, actors have to do this all the time and it's a paid audition, but I'm like, hey, here, here's a raw video, put it on Google Drive. Let's see what you can do. Edit it uh, and get creative, have fun. I want to see something different than the normal stuff on my channel. When it comes to, you know, if I'm going to find someone to make thumbnails for me, Okay, here are the videos. I want you to come up with some new thumbnails. And you get to see a lot. I never look at resumes. 
I look at what can you do? And I will, it's to me, it's worth me paying you to actually do some of the work to actually see if you can do it or not. So if you're a new video editor, it's probably going to be a month till you get access to my channel. And in the meantime, yeah, it's a little bit more work. You just upload the video that we will then upload onto YouTube to Google Drive. But we want to see, do you consistently show up? Do you meet deadlines? Can you be trusted? You know, can you deal with, like, I, I just don't give immediate access to anything, whether you're a writer, whether you're a video editor, Anytime you're coming onto my company, there is a good month long. And I, you don't even come to my team meetings initially because I don't want to have to explain to other people on my team why this person was there and why they disappeared a week later. And we've had that happen. You know, sometimes people, they talk the talk, but they just don't show up on time or you find, you discover that they can't do the job that they said they could do. And it's better to find out very quickly than it is to find out, you know, put your head down in a hole and then figure it out three months later because your channel's sucking. Yeah. So my next question was, what do you do if you have a bad hire? But I assume that you have that process to filter out bad hires so they're gone before they're past their audition. I like to hire two or three people at a time too. And I, I have them compete against each other. And a lot of times I will keep, I've had this happen actually, two of the, uh, Jane and Jamie were hired at the same time, like seven, almost eight years ago. And uh, there was another woman, Andrea, that was hired with them. And she stuck around for two years. But I realize, hey, it takes about as much time for me to run someone through a, a single person through as it does three to four. And the thing is, if you actually end up with like two people that are really, really good and that the worst you can only hire one, guess what? You got a good decision. You've got a good problem now because you have to make a decision between one or the other. And I actually gave away one of my assistants at the beginning of this year to another channel that just needed help. They, did, they couldn't find anybody. And I'm now like, but yeah, I was a godsend because she's like, oh my gosh, she's trained up. She's so good. Like, are you sure you don't need her? And it's like, nope. And you know, it worked out well because I even mentioned that she needed a pay raise. Or <laughs> so, so it was a win, 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 win. That's amazing. So you said that you're working with people in the Philippines, UK, Ukraine, US. How do you find a Thomas, a Jane, a Jamie? Are you going through agencies? Is it through word of mouth, through networks, are you posting on job boards? Because I get asked all the time on LinkedIn emails, do you know any channel managers? Do you know a good editor? Do you know anyone that's good with After Effects? Do you know anyone that can run YouTube ads for me? Like, I feel like I'm like a, a matchmaker yeah. for, for, for YouTube jobs unofficially. But where do you go apart from maybe coming to someone like me? What's your best tip for if you're looking for a good editor, if you're looking for a designer? I think, it, you know, your audience, they've got their own small audience. Maybe these, it's like reach out to your own audience because to me, one of the first things you want to look for is are they passionate about the subject? And if somebody's already watching your videos, they already care about what you're talking about. And they already know your style in many ways, know your voice. You're not going to have to pay them to go back and watch a hundred of your videos because they've already done it. And that to me is where we've always gotten our best people right from our own audience. Another option, uh, and you know, Chris Ducker's company as well, virtual staff finder when it came to just general assistance. I haven't used it for a long time, but both Jane and Jamie actually came out of that. When it came to my Filipino video editor, we actually found him through, I think it's online Philippines or there's like a VA or there's an online billboard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's onlinejobs.ph. Yep. Yep. And that one actually is pretty good. You got to get a plan to it, but I do... Again, if you're going to hire anyone, you, you need to set up hurdles and barriers. And the way I look at it, I mean, there's just so many people out there kicking, just trying to get money. You, of course, want to save as much money. You want to keep as much as you can. So understand that, you know, you've got to know what you're willing to part with and be really specific about what you're looking for. And in my opinion, most, I mean, it's, they need to, of course, have the bare minimum to be a video editor or whatever skill set they need. That's the bare minimum. Everyone needs to have that, but you really want to test and you want to look for the intangibles. And those intangibles are simply, you know, do they understand the culture? Are they, are they nice? We hired a gentleman one time that didn't turn out to be a gentleman. He was actually talking down to people and it was a bit of a bigot. You know, I was just like, nope, like I let him go immediately because he was toxic in the company. And it's like, I had to cut that out. So company fit is key. Communication, obviously you're, you're working in different time zones, people that, speak English, but maybe English is not their first language. 
I've sat in your meetings and I know how your team runs, but I can't tell you how much I learned from watching you running your team meetings, uh, your processes. Can you talk about how you run that team on a day-to-day basis, how you make sure everyone's doing their job? I know you're really, really hot on systems and processes. I'd love for you to explain a bit more about how you kind of physically run your team on the day-to-day basis. I know you don't work a, a huge amount of hours anymore, but you are definitely still like the leader of that team. You are the, you know, the, the general kind of thing. It may come off like that, but I've really tried to change that a bit in, in that. But if I'm not there in the meeting, Yuri will step up and take over the meeting. If Yuri's not there, then Jane will step up and take over the meeting. So we do have system like people know, hey, if Antonio's not here, I can step in and cover this. The reason that we do have entire team meetings is to me, there needs to be at least, you know, for us twice a week that everyone is in the same room and you can air out grievances. You can air out, hey, this, everyone needs to know about this, or this is a big issue. Now, I do expect people to show up to that meeting prepared. So if, and especially if you've got a one-on-one meeting with me, which I like to keep those to about 15 minutes or less, it is something, hey, what is your agenda? What are we going to cover? Even Yuri, it's worked for me for, you know, I've known Yuri since 2000. Two, you know, it's something. I mean, we ran a nonprofit together in Ukraine for years before we ever started this stuff. I mean, even Yuri has to have an agenda before he he meets with me because I want to make sure his thoughts are organized. And that's, I think, the key is to make sure that there's organization in the meeting and end it as soon as possible. No one ever said, "Well, that thank goodness that meeting went on for three friggin' hours." I mean. That, that's why we left most of us corporate America. Like We don't want to be in these useless meetings. So if it's going to be a meeting with everyone on the team, if you're going to talk about something, it better apply to everybody. First up. Next up, like I only schedule these meetings for 15 minutes, the entire team meeting. And we zip through and we try to focus in on what applies to everybody. And it happens again and again. We fall into this, like two people start talking and immediately it's like, hey, let's take this offline. You guys go have your own meeting, but we're wrapping this thing up. I always announce the times as we're moving through. But yeah, you know, people show up prepared. I do recommend me. And and this has been a hard thing for many people on my team. A lot of people are used to having an authority. And I'll admit, when I first, maybe six, seven years ago, I definitely pushed down a bit harder. I was much more authoritative. I've really, though, tried to encourage people to push up. And by pushing up, meaning they're asking for what they need they're taking the initiative. And that's something that I've really stressed. There are certain people that I have, I'm very loyal to people. And there are probably those that maybe I wouldn't hire now because they wouldn't pass the initiative test. But I think that they've really come a long way. And I'm happy to say that it's now at a point that uh, many of their other skills, like that small weakness, it's something that we can overcome. But nowadays, I'm really, again, looking for those intangibles, making sure that this is someone that can communicate well and that they are laying things out. Uh, we have one woman that English is not, it's her third language. And English, you know, can be tough for her sometimes. But whenever she gives a presentation, she brings slides because those slides help everyone to visually be able to see what she is she's talking about, even if she occasionally uses the wrong word. Probably the biggest takeaway that I took from working with you on your team, Antonio, was how process-driven you were. And everything had a defined process it was documented somewhere. You've got a dedicated space for documentation of your processes. And I've really taken that on. I document everything. I try to find efficiencies in every single process. I've tried to take it a bit further and try to automate a lot of anything that I do more than a few times. I've gone and hired developers to help me build tools to reduce the amount of humans that are needed to kind of make a human machine. Can you talk a bit more about where that comes from and how that manifests itself? I won't re- name the website, but it's the website you we know that is where you store all of your documentation. I'd love for you to talk a bit more about that. It's public, but I will say that, yes, again, so I probably picked this up in the United States Marine Corps whenever I was in flight school. And one of the things you learn about flight school is that flying a jet, flying a helicopter, it's not magic. I mean, it's simply science, engineering, and it's following systems. And when you do not follow the systems, you die. Um, 
straight up, that's the way it goes. You know, if you do not have fuel in your aircraft and you take it off and you're flying around, it, all of a sudden you realize you're running out of fuel because you didn't check it. Guess what? And, it's, and this has happened. All of a sudden you are going in for a crash landing because you don't have fuel to get back to the airport and you got to land this thing. So the same thing with my company. I try to say, hey, why did that mistake happen? Why did we publish that video at the wrong time? Why did we publish the wrong video? Why was that video not connected to that article? That way they could feed off each other. A lot of times people make a mistake and then they keep going like nothing happened. We, when we make a mistake, we say, well, what broke down in the process and system? And I have people create their own processes and systems. I actually don't read most of their own, vast majority, I do not read, don't have time for it. But I have them do it anyway for themselves. And a funny story, like Yuri the other day, could not figure out how to fix something on the website. And it's funny, he did a quick search and he found his own video that he recorded for himself and put on our, our website uh, like five years ago that explained how to actually fix this. And he'd forgotten, but he had recorded a video of the process. He had properly named and labeled that video and it was actually public and he found his own video. And that right there, it doesn't have to be written. When I was in the military, we had SOPs and they were typed out literally with a typewriter and then they moved it to a computer. But it was so like, that was just a pain. And I'm like, got to make it easy. So record a video, maybe for, you know, the perfect article checklist, make a little infographic that's really easy for people to see, but never be a slave to that system. That system is there to serve you. And that's one thing I really stress is, hey, if you follow the process, most likely you're never going to get in trouble. But it is something that like, if you see the process needs to be improved, improve it. But remember, you're never a slave to the process. I just want you to think about, you know, did you do this? Did you do that? That way you can free up your mind to focus in on more important things. One thing that I know was really effective was that everyone on the team had their own specific goals, targets, priorities, and they also had vision over the overall company targets, visions, priorities. How important is that in driving the team forward individually, but also, you know, driving them to work towards like the success of the business overall? It's really important. And to be honest, we probably aren't doing it as well this year as we have in the past, uh, because we've got so many projects going on. But if you imagine like a, a team rowing a boat and if everyone's rowing in different directions or there isn't a coxswain that is keeping them rowing together in unison, it's just not nearly as efficient as it could be. And we don't use anything, any fancy systems. I'm just using, I think, Google Docs, but we do have KPIs. We do have a priority matrix. This is something that you're going to find that some systems work for your people, some do not. And I find that I'm probably one of the, the worst people for getting in there and updating where my focus is. But it is something that, great thing is you can always go back to it. And it is something that reminds you that, hey, I need to be really clear to everyone on the team why we're doing what we're doing and what we have going on. Just today's meeting, we talked about a launch that we have coming up. And everyone, even though most people aren't working on this launch, they need to be aware that this is happening so that they understand why they may be called in to do something. So there, there's a great chart. I, I remember one of my business classes uh, that talked about the complexity of a business and how when you've got just two people, there's two-way conversations here. You talk to them and they talk to you. But when you get three people, all of a sudden, the complexity doesn't, it doesn't add like by one, it adds actually a, a bit more because now you can have two people talking who never talk to you. Now, imagine when you have five people, you could have three people talking and two people are left in the dark. And so the complexity of this keeps going up. And it actually, that happens a lot more as the company enlarges. Next thing you know, you got 10 people like we do. And there are seven people that don't know what these three people have been working on and are all of a sudden are, are are upset because those other seven people couldn't read their minds. And that's one of the things that you've got to work to overcome to make sure, you know, that the business is going in that same direction. And so a lot of creators, a lot of people that started off just being doers, they then find themselves, once you hire people, you become a manager by default. And if you don't manage them, unless you've got someone in there that's a natural leader and just takes over the job, unfortunately, you're going to start running into issues of just people not knowing, dropping things. And that's uh, where a lot of companies actually, and I'd say most companies, business owners, they simply say, you know what? Yeah, I hired seven people. It was crazy. 
And then I fired them all and I just went back to being a solopreneur. And guess what? Now I hate life again because I realized why I didn't want to be a solopreneur. Yeah, it's so wise. And I, I kind of see myself battling back and forth with like, I need help, but I don't want to give over that control. And I don't want to be a manager of people, yet I don't want to be going in the mental asylum because I'm working so hard in so many hours. And I think so many creators can relate to that because they see themselves as creators and not business people or entrepreneurs. And you really do have to make that separation between business owner and creator. Otherwise, you you will only last so long. This has been such an amazing set of information. Like this is going to be so valuable. And this is going to be written up into an in-depth article and you'll be able to find that at prochannelmanager.com forward slash episode four, no dashes, no hyphens. But before I let you go, Antonio, I've got something that I ask all of my guests uh, and these are called the fast five. And these are five quick fire questions really about YouTube, not so much about what we've been talking about so far. So if you're ready, I'm going to fire away. You don't need to think too fast. You can just go straight through these. Let's do it. So if you could only ever watch one YouTube channel ever again, what would it be? Yeah. You know, Tom, I really don't follow any YouTube channels religiously. Yeah. I'm more of a, I watch this video, watch that video, but I'd have to say there's not like a channel that I always just go back to, which is kind of funny coming from a guy that, that makes channels. Yeah, no, I totally get that. For me, it's I only have a couple of channels, but generally I don't have time and I just want a break from the computer screen and chill with the kids. So totally get that. If you can remember what one feature of YouTube from the past would you bring back? One that's disappeared, maybe. I liked Google+. Plus. I liked people being accountable for what they say online. <laughs> so, you know, you saw a lot less comments and I know why they took it away, but when it comes down to it, you know, I, I think it was a good way to be able to hold people uh, a little bit more accountable for uh, for those comments. I'm going to go out on a limb, Antonio, and say you're the only person that's going to answer that question with Google+. But who knows? We'll soon find out. Um, if you could add one feature to YouTube, what would it be? Customer service. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes, please. <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah, actually having people at YouTube that responded to you. <laughs> Or if they do respond, they actually know what they're talking about. And give you a useful non, you know, it's like the answers are so... Copy and paste. Yeah, they're not just copy and paste. They're so safe. Well, you could do this or do that. But, you know, we don't really hold a stance. <laughs> what one piece of advice would you give to someone starting as a channel manager or starting a YouTube channel today? So if you're starting a YouTube channel, put in the work, make your first 100 videos. And finally, if YouTube was a person... What would you say to them if you met them at a Christmas party? Stay away from my daughter. <laughs> Classic. Okay, that's the fast five amazing answers. I've got one final, final question for you. I cannot let you go without asking a style question. Sure. And just like the biggest achievement I've ever achieved is one day I went out to uh, the horse racing here in the UK got dressed up, posted a picture on Facebook, and Antonio said that I was dressed pretty cool. So that's my biggest achievement in life. But for all of you other people that are not as blessed as me and Antonio in the fashion stakes, what is the one single thing that gents and potentially ladies can do to improve their style? What's the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to improving your style? Well, there's two. So the first one is to actually care. And to be honest, most most blokes, most gents, they don't care. They just don't think about it. The way I look at it is you're like a four, imagine a three-wheeled Ferrari shooting down the road. You're going to have sparks flying. It's You've got the experience. You've got the education. You've got the passion for what you do. But what you're missing is that fourth tire, which is the presentation and image. And as soon as you put on that fourth tire, boom, you're going to accelerate from 10 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour with the same amount of effort. But the easiest thing when you get started improving your style that you can focus on and you can improve is the fit of your clothing. Most men never think about it and they don't, they're wearing clothing that's mostly too large for them. And if they wore clothing that just simply fit and complemented their body, they would look so much better. Yeah, well, 
my clothes used to be too big for me, but after lockdown, they're all too small for me. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's a great tip. Sounds like you grew taller. <laughs> Antonio, I cannot thank you enough. It's been such a pleasure to have you on here to catch up and to hear that amazing insights into how to run a YouTube team. I know the audience are going to get so, so much value out of that. Where can we find out more about you and what you're up to? Just type me into the to the Google and you'll find Antonio Centeno and you'll find Real Men Real Style. You'll find all my sites out there. Thank you, Antonio. And best of luck to you and the team in the future. Thanks, Tom. Talk about action packed. So much advice that you can put into practice tomorrow. And remember, you can find all of this information, not just links to what we've discussed, but actual how-to guide written up in full by visiting prochannelmanager.com forward slash episode four. That's the word episode number four, no space, no hyphens. A massive thank you before we leave to our incredible sponsors, vidIQ. And remember, you can get a free 30-day trial of one of their incredible free plans by visiting prochannelmanager.com forward slash vidIQ. A huge thank you to vidIQ, not just for sponsoring this podcast, but for being the most amazing tool that I use every single day on every single video that I upload. Also, can't go without letting you know that we are getting ever so close to the launch of both my new course, my new community, and my new membership. If you want to learn how to run a YouTube channels like me, like the pros, like the incredible channel managers that we already have inside of the beta group in the community, you can go to academy.prochannelmanager.com and you can sign up to be notified as soon as they launch. It's going to be big. As always, I hope you found this episode useful and entertaining. If you did, please remember to subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. Give us a rating, a review in Apple Podcasts. It will help other pro channel managers just like you to discover the podcast. Give us a star if you're listening to this in Overcast like me and share it with a friend or someone in the industry that you know is going to benefit from it. It's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to speaking to you again in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep uploading. Laters. Thanks for listening to the Pro Channel Manager Podcast. Happy uploading. And remember, next time you go to publish a video, ask yourself, what would Tom think? <laughs>